You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lines. We welcome in Craig Hoffman, host of the Take Command podcast, and also the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 down there in D.C. Craig, welcome back, or I should say welcome to Behind Enemy Lines right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod. Thanks for coming on, man. Uh, you got it, Ryan. Uh, I, I see what you did there because you were on our show this morning, so it feels like a welcome back, but now I get to answer the questions instead of ask them. Or maybe it's I just nice hijacked the whole thing. Are maybe reversed. I just like, ha-ha, I ask the questions now. Take command. <laughs> there you go. Ah, I'm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is great. Speaking of taking command, right? The, the commanders make a big trade in the offseason, take our former quarterback in Carson Wentz. Now you have him. Obviously, Carson Wentz Hurts has been playing recently, but overall, when he was playing, what was your thoughts? What was your interpretations? Was it did he play to your level? Do you think he's gonna be better? Kind of what was your overall thoughts on Carson Wentz so far as a as a commander? Um, well, my expectations weren't particularly high um, for Carson Wentz. I did not like the fit at all. Um, I thought that there's obviously some things that he could do really well, and he showed some of those. I mean, the Jacksonville game to start the season, uh, he throws a couple of balls that you're just like, wow, that wasn't available, uh, basically, since at least Kirk Cousins was here, and the arm strength difference between Cousins and uh, Wentz is, is quite different as well, but just I mean, you're dealing with guys like Alex Smith. Taylor Heineke doesn't have a great arm. So you just get used to it. You see a ball zip out of Wentz's hands. You're like, oh, my God. The problem is the offense was pretty predictable. I think that that was a reflection of Wentz's ability to handle more complexity. And he also doesn't make the throws that make this offense work down in, down out, even if he'll hit some big ones. And so that was kind of my expectation coming into the year. And he more than lived up to it. Uh, obviously, it got really bad in his last start uh, that Thursday nighter that everybody got to watch against Chicago, where he threw for a whopping 99 yards. But I let him off the hook for that one because he was apparently playing with a fractured finger, which we found out later. Yeah, a lot of that sounds very familiar uh, to watching last year here in Indianapolis. Uh what is it about Taylor Heineke, though? Because obviously he has his limitations. There's a reason he's been a backup for, for the majority of his career. But it seems like he has, you know, some success. The team has some success when he gets in there under center. He has it, whatever it is. It is not arm strength. And you guys will see that. There are going to be some balls that float out on Sunday that you're going to just wonder, how is that thing still in the air? How has it not been picked? And then someone will catch it wearing the same jersey that Taylor's wearing. It is remarkable but he really has an understanding of the offense as well he understands on concept level as opposed to like individual matchup level so for instance the play of the game in their win over green bay is this third down ball that he throws way before terry's out of his break as he's getting hit his eyes are actually closed as he releases it but he just knows based off the concept and the coverage that he can throw the ball and so it's in the air forever floating out on a deep out route or a you know mid-level out route, and that's a ball that should theoretically be picked, but he understands it's not going to because of the leverage and everything the cornerback's playing with. So he's got some of that. He's 
pretty mobile. And those kinds of things allow him to succeed. He extends plays. He scrambles, which is obviously incredibly valuable, as you know, I'm sure you guys will learn with Sam Ellinger compared to Matt Ryan. Uh, but it is it's that stuff that I think and the competitive level or the competitiveness. And I think just his story, right? It's an inspiring story. He's an undrafted guy. He's sitting on the couch, literally taking math classes online during COVID. And the commanders are like, hey, you're our emergency guy. Stay as ready as you can. And turns out he starts a playoff game and plays decently well, even though it was in a loss to Tom Brady. And now all of a sudden he's got this mythological nature to him. And, and But guys really believe in him. And so that's that's not necessarily a reflection on Carson. As I know, obviously, that was a huge topic of discussion there. Um, but there is something that's different with Heineke that just inspires belief. Oh, and he knows that Terry McLaurin, uh, Indianapolis' <laughs> own, is their best receiver. He throws to him more often than every other quarterback. That might have something to do with his success. Smart man, smart man for sure, throwing in the best receiver. What a what a concept there, Craig. Um, you mentioned kind of the, the differences between Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke. Overall, like, is this offense going to look a lot different now that you know Taylor Heineke is the guy at least in the short term? Like, well, what can Colts fans or what should the Colts defense, I guess, expect offensively from the Commanders on Sunday? So, what's hysterical about the Heineke to Wentz back to Heineke thing is they it's like they looked at Taylor and went, "What does this guy not do? What do we need to get? We need a taller guy who has a bigger arm." And then they didn't account for the fact that just getting the tall guy with the big arm could potentially leave a deficit in all of the things that Taylor did well. And that's not necessarily a defense of Heineke in that I think he should have been the starter or anything. He shouldn't have been. He's a high-end, high, high, high-end backup, low, very low-end starter. That's who he is. But some of the stuff that he does well is literally the exact opposite of the stuff Carson does well. Carson throws well on the outs because he's got the cannon arm. He doesn't see the middle of the field well at all. Taylor's the opposite. He does do that. Carson is a statue who cannot run at this point in his career. Taylor's an effective runner who I actually wish they would do uh, more designed run stuff with him. So the difference, like it's the same offense, but the routes that get thrown, the reads that get made, and then the off schedule stuff is completely different. So I think to the average fan, not watching all 22, watching the route concepts develop, it will look very different watching a Heineke start versus a went start the other thing too is the processing speed is miles miles better with heineke wentz is late on basically everything uh and heineke is, is certainly a guy who throws in the, the rhythm and timing of plays it really feels like i'm reliving last year here thanks for that <laughs> um you just get him here thank absolutely thank, thank old jim Irsay. <laughs> uh from a defensive standpoint we talked with Jonathan Taylor today, and he, he had a lot to say about that Washington front, how active they are in the front seven, how disruptive they can be. Uh, I would expect the Colts are going to come out with RPOs. I mean, that that's what we would think initially is going to be the biggest difference uh, with Ellinger under center. How how dangerous is Washington at shutting down an offense like that? Uh, they've been a mixed bag over the last couple of years. Um, their defense has just been completely different this year than it was last year, and it's completely different than it was week one and in the preseason, to be honest. They they were really lucky in week one to win that game. Uh, Trevor Lawrence just missed some pretty easy ones, and they kind of got away with some stuff. And to an extent, they did that last week as well with Green Bay, something you typically do not get away with against yeah. Aaron Rodgers. But this current version of Rodgers compare, or with this current crop of receivers in Green Bay is just not not a unit that can take advantage of mistakes. But where they have been exceptional is against the run. And so I would imagine they're if they're going to try to run a bunch of RPO, I would run it with the understanding that you can force Ellinger to pass out of that. Um, it's also, you know, against an RPO type of scheme, 
Montez Sweat is a disaster to run that against. If he's going to be the player that you option, he is athletic enough to force a handoff or force a quarterback run based off of what he does and then go tackle the guy who winds up with the ball. So he will faint inside and then go tackle your running back outside. He will faint outside and then you hand the ball off or you keep it and then he'll go get your quarterback. His speed is a single or a singular like wrecking factor. Obviously, you have other players on the other side if you want to run it to the James Smith Williams Casey Tuhill side, but those guys are pretty disciplined. And what the the commanders lack in experience and, and even skill, you could argue with the linebacker position, they make up with with speed. And so Cole Holcomb's a four five guy. Uh Jamin Davis is like four four guy. And so while you can trick those guys and and I think you'll probably hit some slants, RPO, you know, those kinds of throws. If you're trying to run to the edges against this team, it's not going to go well. They're also super physical, as you would imagine, inside with Allen and Payne, who are two of the best interior linemen in football. And so running that inside zone type of stuff that Indy's been running a lot of, I would not imagine that goes particularly well either, unless the O-line plays a lot better. So I know that sounds uh, really tough, and it could be, but I think that there is an opportunity to, you know, my co-host, Logan Paulson, who played in the league 10 years, he, he loves to call them game plan runs where like you throw a little bit of window dressing on there, you get guys shifting one way, then you can you know maybe catch a hole somewhere and you get a big one. They've given up a lot of that this year. So if Reich and, and obviously whoever's in charge of the run game there can, can really figure out, okay, let's use some of that speed, some of that aggressiveness against them. Uh, there's a chance to hit some big ones. And, and that is obviously where a guy like Taylor, who has home run speed and can score on big runs, becomes such a gigantic asset. It's interesting too, Craig, because you obviously you have Sam Ellinger making his first career start. And have you gotten a sense defensively what the game plan is going to be for for how to attack that? Because you can, I could argue, make an argument both ways where you can drop seven or eight guys to basically kind of read his eyes because most of the time young quarterbacks will tell you where they're throwing the ball. Or do you want to blitz him and kind of speed up his clock and kind of always put him under pressure? Have you gotten a sense of what kind of direction the commanders kind of go defensively in approaching a guy making his first career start? Yeah, it's a great question and one that I've I've asked Logan many times with some of the quarterbacks that they face this year. It's like, okay, well, knowing this piece of information, whether it's they're bad against the blitz or it's they're young, like, what do you do? And the answer pressure, have you gotten a sense of what kind of direction the commanders kind of go defensively in approaching a guy making his first career start? Yeah, it's a great question and one that I've I've asked Logan many times with some of the quarterbacks that they face this year. It's like, okay, well, knowing this piece of information, whether it's they're bad against the blitz or it's they're young, like what do you do? And the answer has consistently been to not blitz a ton, like because they can get pressure with four. Like when you've got Allen and Payne and Sweat, and you know James Smith Williams has a little bit of pass rush juice. Casey Tuhill has a little bit of pass rush juice. Uh, F.A. Obata's had a good year as a pass rusher. Uh, Shaka Tony is their one like kind of speed guy off the edge, super situational player, but he's got some dip and some bend to him. And so if you can get those guys in obvious passing situations, so like you play well against the run first and second down. They've had no problem pinning their ears back and getting pressure. Jamin Davis is a pretty good blitzer. Cam Curl is a good blitzer. So even if they bring five, they get the one-on-one matchups up front and and things have gone pretty well for them. So I do think like Ellinger's going to have to prepare. They'll show him some stuff at the line. Uh, he's going to have to understand the, the few blitzes that could be coming and he's not going to know when they're coming. But largely they will drop seven into coverage, trust their their coverage, and then... Uh, try to get that pressure with four. And and because so much of the pressure comes from the interior, it can get there quickly. And for a shorter guy like Ellinger too, you always wonder about throwing lanes and, and 
They've had a couple of batted balls. They even had a, an interception on that Thursday night game where F.A. Obata just got hit in the head and the ball popped up in the air <laughs> off his helmet, yeah. which uh, if, if you, you or your audience don't know, Obata is British. And so he just said he was he was knocking the rust off his soccer skills. It wasn't on purpose. He, he, he got a big head and it's got a helmet on it. And he just got in the way. But uh, we'll we'll give it we'll give FA the credit. Give him the header on that one. Yeah, uh, you're confirming a lot of things that I think make us uh, a little bit nervous about this quarterback change. Uh, and I think Washington has a lot of things that can take advantage of that and, and make it look bad for the Colts. I want to talk about something off the field real quick. I think we'd be remiss not to mention this. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, you know, Jim Irsay comes out and says that, that he thinks Dan Snyder should be forced to sell the team. Normally when that happens on Twitter, I get avalanched by, by the fans of the other team, you know, defending, I haven't heard a word in defense of Dan Snyder. Yeah. It's because nobody wants to defend <laughs> him. I've had a couple of people call my show. They're like, ah, this, that, or you've had, I've had some weird calls this, this last couple of weeks, but I was on the air when, when that broke um, and had another one of the beat reporters who's a regular contributor to our show in studio with us. And we were just kind of like, I can't believe this is happening um, to have another owner finally go on the record and, and say out loud what all of us have known for a long time, which is even if you put aside the heinous behavior that is in the various reports and testimony from Congress, and there's, there's ultimately five investigations into Snyder that are active right now. The attorneys general, yes, I get to use attorneys general of DC, Maryland, and Virginia, all three of them are all investigating him. There's the Mary Jo White investigation being conducted by the NFL and the House Oversight Committee are all investigating. So as that information has come out, as the very scarce information we got from the Wilkinson report came out, even though they did not release the full report, like even if you push that stuff aside, this guy's a terrible owner who's bad for the league. And so I actually appreciated Ursay saying, yeah, like this is bad and he's deteriorated the fan base, but this is about the behavior. This is about um, the women, mostly women, but there's some men as well who were mistreated in an unprofessional environment that does not meet the standard of what it is to work for an NFL franchise. I appreciated that he actually took what I think is the morally correct stance, which is like this behavior cannot be tolerated. But he also and others in the ESPN story that remained anonymous said that the other part of this which I've never understood for a long time, which is why don't they just kick him out? Cause he sucks. Like, why don't they kick him out? Cause he's bad for business. He's really bad uh, for in terms of bringing down the value of a premier franchise in this league. I mean, you also had not to rehash this too much now on, on a Colts podcast, but like the NFL had their opportunity, right? They're doing this investigation. The team is going through a rebrand. Mm -hmm. They could have just said, Hey, let's do secret handshake everybody in the room without dan now is the time they could have had a new owner with a new name that definitely wouldn't been of commanders because it pulled the worst of all of them and they could have literally started over instead they kept him and now everyone's like we we gotta get this guy out of here and i applaud ursay for having the the cojones to say it out loud does dan snyder go to the away games like will he be in indy of any idea so he does typically go to the games whether or not he will be in indy is fascinating because like yeah. a couple weeks ago there was a big hullabaloo and this was right before like literally the sunday before the espn story dropped the commanders were in dallas and he took this picture with jerry jones where jerry looked like yes. a hostage and it's like friends <laughs> and competitors for 24 years i feel so bad for whoever the social media admin is for the commanders who had to deal with that and post that but 
Yeah, I I am very curious if there will be any kind of uh, one appearance, but two meeting where typically the owners will say hello before the game. I don't I don't think there's any love lost there between Snyder and Ursa. Doesn't feel like, I mean, there may be more interest in the owners' box than there is on the field on, on Sunday. In all honesty, how mad when is Fox that they made this their one of their four twenty five picks? I know at the time they're thinking Carson Wentz revenge game, and you're going to have all these stories with Matt Ryan versus you know Carson Wentz, and, and here we are with Taylor Heineke versus Sam Ellinger. Uh, you know, from last one for me, if you've been through the, the the quarterback change, you know, a couple times here with Heineke and back. If there's anything that Ellinger can bring as a spark, what do you think that would be? His ability to scramble. Um, ben Solak wrote a phenomenal piece in The Ringer this week. Um, and we had Ben on the show yesterday to talk about this. Scrambles have become perhaps the singular most valuable play in football. Um, when you look at like, you know, not just quali- or quanti- qualitatively, but quantitatively, right? Not just like, oh, I think they're important because I feel it in my heart. Like you look at EPA, which is one of the best advanced statistics out there and probably the most valuable one because it's literally like how many points are added based off this thing that happened. Because scrambles happen often on third down, because they often pick up first downs, they move EPA more than basically any other play or any other type of play that exists regularly in a football game. And so with that ability that Ellinger has to freelance, to make plays off schedule, to scramble and pick up first downs, that is the thing that I think should give Colts fans, especially with an offensive line that is giving up a lot of pressure currently, um, some hope. It's really interesting, the, the comparison between Heineke and Ellinger, because where Ellinger might struggle is also where Heineke has struggled at times, which is to ultimately score. Like, I would expect Ellinger is fine between the 20s. He will figure out how to move the ball. They will run it more. They will probably have better play calling and be efficient because they're not trying to just be like, ah, Matt, save us, right? They're going to run the ball more and stick with it and the scrambles and, and some of the rollouts and things that are super effective. When space gets tight in the in between, you know, in the red zone, that's where I wonder where the arm strength and, and the decision-making, whatever. Heineke's been all right. Uh, he was good in the red zone, had a touchdown last week. He had a great red zone drive in the preseason. But historically speaking, that ability to rack up yardage but not points has killed them when he's been the starter. And I would imagine the similar thing is going to happen to the Colts. So uh, I don't know what the the total is in Vegas uh, as of now for this game, but I'd imagine it's not super high. And I would feel, Craig, take the under. Take the under in this. I think you're 100% They don't air condition the desert because they lose, Ryan. That is 100% (laughs) true. Colts fans, if you want an even more in-depth breakdown breakdown this matchup, make sure you check out Craig and his co-host Logan Paulson on the Take Command podcast. Craig, thanks so much for joining us here and looking forward to a game where, honestly, there might be more action in the owner's box than on the field. So thanks so much for uh, for coming on uh, the Colts podcast here. Uh, you got it. All I ask is if there's an owner fight, we do this again on Monday. <laughs> Absolutely. In. In. Absolutely. I'm in. Good. I'm in. Thank you, Craig. You got it. Uh, appreciate you. That was a lot of fun. Appreciate you guys. See ya.